The world's greatest poker players are not great because they learned to make big, risky decisions under enormous amounts of pressure. Instead, quite the opposite is true. The world's greatest poker players learn not to make big and risky decisions. Instead, they learn to make small, informed, and calculated bets, calculated risks over the course of tens of thousands of hands. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting, and it is a short, highly actionable book. And in chapter eight, I write about how Anchored is influencing. You and I, if you're here, I can assume that you want to influence the world around you. You want to leave an impact. You want to leave a legacy, much like our generation. We are the the generation who yearns and longs to leave a positive impact on the world, probably more than any other generation before in history. But we get confused sometimes. I get confused sometimes, which is why I wrote this in my book to remind myself and not get confused. But we get confused and we think that influencing or leaving an impact means reaching masses and masses of people. We think that the bigger the number that we have, the bigger the reach that we have, the deeper and the more important the impact we have. But that is just not the truth. What the truth is that if we focus narrow and we decide to go deep in making our impact, making a a lasting impression, helping people in real tangible ways with a few amount of people, that will have a cascading effect, an exponential effect over time. And you and I may not actually touch millions and millions of people, but if we are able to transform a few people's lives over the course of 10 or 20 years, as that grows exponentially, we will have had an impact on billions of lives. And that kind of ties into today's episode of thinking about trying to reach masses, trying to reach those big decisions, those big wins, rather than focusing on small decisions, small wins, habits, and systems. So I was asked this question over the weekend by one of the listeners, Abdul Aziz, who which is really exciting for me to find out, is a high school student out of Saudi. And we were talking and he asked me this question. He said, how do you make big decisions? And I thought about it for a while and I kind of thought through all the cliche advice that people normally give and I was about to give. It's, well, you know, make sure that you have mentors in your life. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Um, Make a list of pros and cons to to weigh the benefits and costs of the decisions that you're trying to make. Um, Pray, see if God will give you direction. Um, See if you have, you know, peace in your heart about the decision that you're about to make and kind of follow based on the the peace or the lack of peace that you have while making those decisions. There's, There's so many different methods that I employ, much like these, that I've just listed in making a big decision or making any decision for that matter. But then I realized that there was a deeper 
answer to this question, which is why are you and I making big decisions in the first place that we feel like our lives depend upon? These big decisions that we feel like our life is hanging in the balance. And to realize that if we are in a place of constantly feeling like every decision is this huge, massive decision, there's probably something broken at a deeper level of our our way of viewing the world, our way of operating in the world, our way of being in the world. If we are making those big bets, hoping that we're choosing rightly, we are probably going to be sorely disappointed with our life. Because if we're thinking that, most likely we are we have a zero-sum game, winner-take-all mentality, where it's either we win or we lose, not realizing that every day is filled with millions of decisions. And if we start playing the small decisions every day, those iterative decisions, creating habits and systems, we will actually be able to begin to play a different game that really mitigates the risk of big decisions. Because life is not full of big one-times decisions, but instead it's filled and composed of small, iterative, minute choices. For instance, this is one of the biggest ones, who do I marry? And this decision will impact your life probably bigger than any other decision you make, minus maybe one or two. But this decision, who am I going to marry, has an enormous impact on the outcome of your life, on the quality of your life, on the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Even if you end up getting a divorce from that person, which I hope you don't because it is highly destructive. If you get a divorce, you will actually end up having more pain, more baggage, more hardship down the road. So it is a huge decision deciding who to marry. Now, Abdulaziz was not asking me about marriage. He was asking me about college. But if we are thinking about decisions like marriage in that way, in one big massive decision, we are probably going to make poor decisions moving forward from the, from the moment of deciding who to date to deciding if we're going to get married. Instead, If we focus on asking the question of how am I going to show up in this romantic relationship? How am I going to behave? How am I going to carry myself and control myself? And how am I going to treat the person in front of me? How am I going to show up in the midst of conflict? And how will I build a healthy relationship with Dignity for myself and dignity for the other person when I am faced with people who, romantically or otherwise, don't share my values, do not share my the culture that I want to nurture within the relationship, within the relationships around me. How are we going to show up in those small moments? Because if we can learn to show up in a healthy manner in our relationships, whether it's our friendships or whether it's romantic relationships, 
that will set us up for an iterative game. So by the time we get to the point of even asking the question, considering the question about marriage to someone, we have already developed a robust framework of healthy decisions that we can then easily gauge of where this relationship is or isn't going. Now, this ties into something that we've talked about before on the show, which is there are zero-sum games, meaning there is a set amount, a limited amount of resources that can be shared between the two players. So maybe there's 100 points or $100. There can only be 100 points. And if one person has more than 50 points, the other person will have less. It's set. We are fighting against each other to get the most amount of points. Then there is an infinite sum game. Now in an infinite sum game, I can have 100 points and you can have 100 points too. We can, there's not a set amount of finances to be had or to be won in the game. Most of the time, people view the world as a zero-sum game. That if you have, that means I have not. That means there is something that I can't have. If you have that position, if you have that, that favor, if you have those followers, that means that's a follower or a position or a dollar or a car that I cannot have. But the reality is that we live in an infinite sum game world where you can have and you actually having, if we cooperate together, it can actually cause me to win too. All boats rise with the rising of the tide. So in that cooperation, we can both actually win more and the quality of our life actually improves more. And when we stop focusing on competition, trying to beat the other person, and we start focusing on cooperation, saying how can we work together so that the quality of both of our lives can improve, then we start growing together and the quality of our lives does improve. Another thing that we're going to be discussing is a one-time game versus an iterative game. So if you have a zero-sum one-time game, that means you get to play the game once and there'll be one winner and one loser and that's it. But if you have an iterative, infinite-sum game, you're playing that game over and over and over and over and you can win and I can win at the same time, and you winning does not mean that I have to lose. Now, when we think about that in the context of our life, in the context of our habits, in the context of what we do day in and day out to make these big decisions, and we realize that, wait, life is not filled with one-time, winner-take-all decisions. Life is filled with many, 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 many interactions with thousands of people around us where if we cooperate, both of us can win. Both of us can come out on top. We are playing an iterative, infinite-sum game life. And yet, most of the time, we're making our decisions as if we're not. So some examples of big decisions that we might be trying to make that we might be wrestling with. It could be, do I, do I take this job 
job A or take job B? Do I continue on and finish my degree at university right away? Or do I take a leap year and explore a hobby or take an internship at a company that I've wanted to work at? What do I do? Which one is going to get me ahead in life? Which one is going to put me on the right track? And often we can be plagued with anxiety when we face these sorts of decisions, partly because we have this underlying worldview that the smallest decisions that I make could have these enormous impacts and change my life forever. Now, there is some validity to that. There is validity to if you take a leap year and you go and travel to Brazil, it really could change your life forever. But we don't know it. Maybe you think that that trip to Brazil changed your life forever, but you could continue on at university and the same door would open and you would end up where you were supposed to be anyways. And another assumption that we are making here is that there is a where you're supposed to be. So we can live in fear and adopting extreme existentialism that believes that with every breath that we take, we're having this massive uh, butterfly effect on the, the global system, thinking that there is no slack in the system. What do I mean by slack? I mean, if I step on a blade of grass and then kill that blade of grass, that will change the entire ecosystem for all of eternity. While the truth really is there is an enormous amount of tolerance in the environment, in the systems that we live in, in our everyday life, that we can make numerous, numerous mistakes and there is give and take, there is slack in the system. If we don't get it right the first time, we're not cut from life forever. If we take an extra breath today, it's not going to cause the polar ice caps to melt. There's actually a great deal of slack in the decisions that we make, that we can make multiple decisions that are wrong, but we can make up for it with multiple decisions that are right if we're beginning to adopt this iterative mindset. But when we start to believe that there is no slack, that every decision is the most important decision of our life, we get plagued with f- crippling fear and anxiety. And that fear and anxiety is then compounded because we realize that our fear and anxiety is impacting the, in, the, the our future. The more fear and anxiety we have, the more fear and anxious that we have that our fear and anxiety is going to, to totally destroy our opportunities in front of us. Extreme existentialism is almost akin to fatalism where we believe that we are powerless in our actions because extreme existentialism believes that there is this certain path that we have to get on and we have to figure out the exact right way to get there, that there isn't some sort of sovereignty that will lead us there by grace and by strength. There isn't a slack in the system that we can actually achieve our goals if we make the one wrong decision because we don't have just one decision. We have thousands of decisions. And it's really what are the habits 
and the systems that we're adopting in our life to get there. And the other end of of this existentialism is believing determinism, believing that no matter what we do, it's already been determined. Now, that's not just a religious idea. Actually, in, in science, there's many people who believe that we are just a clump of chemicals and cells and anything that we do is because there is a chemical firing and we have no free will. We have no choice. We have no power or agency in the matter. And if that's the case, then it doesn't matter what decision we make because the decision we make is the decision that was already made for us, whether it was by God or whether it was by our biology or whether it was by our social conditioning. So this determinism is just as crippling as extreme existentialism or extreme uh, free will, if you will, that where you believe that your immediate decisions will impact the world forever around you and you're crippled with fear. But there is a, a tension, a balance between the two, and that is we do have free will. We have self-control. We have the ability to make our own decision. It's not just autopilot. It's not our chemicals. It's not our social conditioning. And it's not just God making the decisions for us. But then within that free will that we have, within our ability to act and make decisions, there is slack in the system or there is some sort of sovereignty to use a, a religious term in the system. There is some, some guidance, some sovereignty that actually leads us to the place that we're supposed to be if we have the right systems in place, if we are making small iterative bets rather than hoping that we're going to get the one big shot, we're going to get the one big moment, believing that each decision is something massive and big rather than having the right habits and disciplines in our life. When we believe that we're playing a game where we have agency, where the game is iterative with an infinite sum, we begin to play differently. When we begin to believe that we can actually make a difference in the small decisions that we make, that we have millions of small decisions that we make, that there is slack in the system, meaning that there is sovereignty in the system where there's help in the system and that both of us can win, that you can win and I can win. And that me losing doesn't mean that you win and you winning doesn't mean that I lose, but we play together. And that, when we begin to believe and realize that, can change everything. However, if we fall into the winner-take-all, zero-sum game, one-off game mentality, where either everything is predestined or our one choice could derail our destiny and purpose forever, then we have problems. We start making decisions out of fear rather than out of of trust rather than out of hope and expectancy for a better tomorrow. And if we're making decisions out of fear, we are going to be in a bad way. When we realize that we are playing iterative and infinite games, our decisions 
become more important in some ways. Those small decisions become more important while at the same time, we realize if we lose a hand, if we lose a game today, that doesn't impact our entire future. And there are times we're losing the hand or losing the game because we're cooperating with the other people around us can actually open up more doors for us to win in the future. At the same time, it makes us realize when our underlying game theory is right, we realize that it's no longer about the big questions of do I go to college A or B? Should I marry this person or not? But we begin to approach these questions very differently. We start to ask, okay, how do I want to be treated in the relationship? How do I want to carry myself in the relationship? Who am I going to interact with and how do I interact and carry myself with them? How do I want to be treated and how do I communicate in a way that maintains my agency when I'm not treated rightly? How do I respond? Do I respond with evil or do I respond to evil with good? Same thing with college. Instead of which is the best college for me to go to, it's are you developing the skill sets, the the learning ability Are you exploring other options in your life, other hobbies and desires? Because the name of the college isn't necessarily as important as your process of learning and acquiring information. So when I was in university, I used to play poker for a living. And good poker players, they play the odds. They know when you're drawing for a flush, they know what percentages you are likely to actually win your hand. So if you're playing Texas Hold'em and you have four to the flush on the flop, you have a 34.97% chance that you are going to actually make your flush by the end of the hand. So that affects how you bet, that affects what you bet, that affects whether you're going to fold or whether you're going to raise or whether you're going to call. Now, when you know this, it's now about math. And if you lose one hand and you don't make your flush, but the numbers were right, it doesn't matter because you're going to play that hand thousands of thousands of times. And in the long run, you will actually come out ahead. So no longer are we emotionally attached to the wins and losses of individual days, but we are looking at the accumulation of months and years of good decisions based on knowing the proper odds and calculated risks. So then when we're in a really big hand, when we're in a really big decision, when we're in a really big moment, we are still able to make the decision of the high-pressured moment based on the fundamentals. And we're making these decisions based on information of whether the person's bluffing or whether we should call or not. Now, there are some times where the greatest poker players seem to break these laws, but that is because they have inside information. They are able to read the person in front of them They're able to tell if the person is lying or not, bluffing or not, if they have a strong hand or a weak hand. And so 
when they seem to get really lucky or make some amazing call or amazing fold, it is not because they are able to make really big decisions in high pressure moments, but it's because they've attuned themselves to not make those big questions or make those big decisions, but they've attuned themselves to pick up the information that is in the room and then make decisions based off of that information. And because they're doing that thousands and thousands and thousands of times, they know that if they get it wrong once or twice or even 50% of the time, that it's okay because in the long run, they will win that bet. Likewise, we all, whether explicitly or implicitly, we develop a framework, a, a worldview by which we operate unconsciously. And if our framework is attuned to the information that's coming to us, if we have our systems in place, we know our odds, we know our calculated bets on whether it's a relationship or a career path, when we know where we're going and we're able to tune in and read the day in, day out signs, and we know that we're playing an iterative game, when those special moments come, we're able to recognize them. If we don't, if we are believing that each moment is your shot and it's this could be it and we're always pushing our chips into the middle, we always feel like this is the next big decision where I'm going to get my big break, then our minds will be too noisy and we'll be viewing everything from this lens of this is my big break. I have to win this one and make decisions out of emotion and fear. And we're going to miss on those subtle moments, those moments of information that's going to pick up and inform us on where we really should be going. But when we have these systems, we're able to recognize subtle moments that don't look like diamonds, that don't look like something shiny, but we'll pick up on these moments in our life and say, wait, I think there's something over that way. I think I... I sense something here. I don't really know why, but I can pick up from my system, from my habits, from my iterative infinite sum games that's going to be really good for me to invest into this relationship, even though it doesn't seem to make sense. I talked about this a little bit on the story on divine appointments where I told the story on True Story Tent. And in this, Abdullah, he asked me, well, do you feel like you were destined to be there, that you were destined to hold this guy as he died in your arms? And I, I, I said that I don't know if it was destiny as so much it was a divine appointment. There was a moment that I was able to recognize and actually step into, but I could have kept on driving. I could have gone right past it and missed that divine appointment. And when we view life, through zero-sum, one-off, winner-take-all games, we are going to miss those divine appointments. Our ears will not be attuned to those patterns of those divine appointments. So bringing it all home, the same goes for big decisions like choosing what university you want to go to, like taking a gap year, like deciding who you're going to date, or marry, or program to join. These are all big life decisions. But when we realize 
that if we have a system in place beforehand of healthy relationships or healthy learning habits or knowing the direction, uh, even a, a broad direction that we want to go and realize if we make a mistake along the way and we take the wrong course, we have another opportunity. It will take away so much of the fear and anxiety of these small decisions and actually open you up to be able to see and hear where you should go. And if we're at the point where we're facing these huge, big, life-altering decisions and we really just don't know which way to go, and we don't have a track record to look back on, the experience to look back on, to kind of taste and feel and have a sense of where to go, it's probably already too late. It's probably already too late because we're playing the game the wrong way. We're playing the wrong game because we don't understand the real game that we're playing. So maybe you find yourself playing the wrong game today. I want to ask you, how can you begin to change the way that you understand the game that's happening around you? How can you begin to change the way that you look at relationships, the way that you look at your career path, the way that you look at your your purpose, your destiny? How can you begin to change the small decisions throughout your day? rather than worrying about the big decisions. How can you just change the small decisions of when you wake up and go to sleep, what what media you consume on social media, what YouTube videos you watch, what TV shows you consume, what 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 type of talk do you tolerate among your friends? What type of jokes do you tolerate? What sort of behavior do you tolerate in talking to people around you? Are you being sarcastic and cutting people down? What sort of behavior do you allow people to treat you with? And when you're treated wrong, how do you respond? What's your work ethic? What's your study and learning ethic? Are you just cramming for the test the night before? Or are you working to develop a a skill set? Are you learning to develop a, a robust framework of acquiring knowledge so that when you're out of university or you're out of the course or when you're out of this work and you're looking for another job, you're able to acquire the skills that you need to go on and actually step into your callings, your purposes, and your destiny. That is all for this episode. Thanks so much for being with me. I hope that this was a helpful and interesting thought for you today. Please If you have any questions like Abdulaziz had, I'd love to hear them. You can DM me on Instagram, you can email me, or you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. And I would love to hear them and answer them here on the show. And because Abdulaziz, you asked this question, I'm gonna be sending you a pack of stickers. Thanks for asking the question. And remember, you are a change maker. Go out, seek truth, know your purpose, and own your future. 